Got time for a quick story. There are sometimes, in fact, oftentimes, musicians in a group or duo for whom their musical influences and or interests differ a good amount compared to the genre for, for which their group or duo are, are known. Take, for example, Daryl Hall and John Oates. Done some classic pop music with sort of soul influence, sort of a rock influence. Well, heck, they, they coined it as rock and soul on a best of album of theirs back in the 1980s. At first blush, especially if you really only know the hits of Daryl Hall and John Oates, would you imagine that John Oates was influenced by a lot of blues and early, early forms of what evolved into rock and roll? You probably wouldn't guess that. You probably wouldn't suspect that he would do a solo album with that sort of music. The earlier forms of popular music compared to what we know from the rock era what uh, John Oates explored on his 2018 solo album, Arkansas. And then in, in ensuing live shows in the ensuing years. I got a chance to talk to John Oates about Arkansas and then a live album, kind of at the conclusion of the run supporting Arkansas, called Live in Nashville. The first album was released in 2018, the second album in 2020. And what we're going to do in this edition of Got Time for a Quick Story is play both interviews. The first one, January of 2018, talking about the new album, Arkansas, the new album at the time, Arkansas. The second interview you will hear is from August of 2020, talking about the September 2020 release of Live in Nashville. So first, the interview with John Oates talking about his solo album, Arkansas. We're talking this morning with John Oates. New album, Arkansas, is coming out a week, one week from today, Friday, February 2nd. Uh, latest uh, solo album from, from you, John. Uh, what, what, when did you first want to do this type of album with this particular genre, sort of this, you know, Americana and roots? And what was the inspiration to hit the studio and record Arkansas? Well, uh, you know, I've been leading up. I've, I've made six solo albums um, since the year 2000. And I think uh, they've all been kind of leading to this place. Uh, if you go back to 2010, I made an album called Mississippi Mile, which really has, has the same feel as Arkansas, but Arkansas is much more pure and much more uh, deeper, I think. So uh, it's really what, it, what it's done. Uh, my move to Nashville about 10 years ago has... Uh, has kind of you know re reinvigorated and kind of re-inspired my my love of uh, Americana and blues and roots music that I that I grew up uh, playing and listening to as a kid uh, before I met Daryl Hall and stuff. So uh, really, it's kind of a return to my roots, really. And you mentioned that, uh, and looking in the in the electronic press kit about as a child hearing that music. What was the spark? in the music that impacted you? Like, and how did you first hear it? Was it on the radio, albums? What was it? What, what was the particular aspect that made you go, I, I really like this music? Well, you know, I heard early rock and roll, you know, from the, the early rockabilly stuff like that. And in the early 60s, there was a folk, there was a kind of a folk revival that was going on on college campuses. And I had a, a friend who had an older brother who went to college in North Carolina. When he came back, uh, I think it was Christmas break, he brought a stack of albums of uh, people I'd never heard before, you know, people like, um, 
you know, Doc Watson, Mississippi John Hurt, you know, uh, the, the Carter family, uh, and, and on and on. And I just, I had never heard this stuff before. And I, I had been playing guitar since I was six years old. So I kind of j- just started dropping the needle on these albums and started to learn this stuff. And I fell in love with the, with this traditional American, uh, uh, you know, folk and roots music. And I never really looked back. So uh, once, you know, once I got together with Daryl in, in the early 70s, you know, we, we started on our own path. And, you know, obviously we went in much more pop direction. But my love of this music had never left. And now that I'm back in Nashville, I, uh, I kind of had a real, a real chance to play with a lot of players who, who perform in that genre and uh, found a kind of a Americana community that kind of uh, really supports this music. Exactly. You, you, you mentioned a lot of Mississippi John Hurt in particular. And I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you, you got the chance to meet him in the 1960s. Is that correct? I did. I saw him play when he was rediscovered in the early 1960s, from about 1963 till 1966 when he passed away. And uh, I got to meet him. I, I got to uh, see him play many times And when he came through Philadelphia. And when he did pass away, his uh, guitar uh, was given to my guitar teacher, who then uh, brought it up to New York. And I actually played it on the first two Hall & Oates albums. And interestingly enough, uh, just about a few months ago, I managed to buy that exact guitar from, from someone who had it in their collection. And now I have the same guitar that uh, that he played in the '60s and that I played in the '70s. Very neat. And those. And to, to, to clarify, in case anyone hears that and goes, "Oh, I want to listen to that particular guitar on those Hall and Oates albums," that would be Whole Oates and Abandoned Abandoned Luncheonette. That's right, Whole Oates and Abandoned Luncheonette. If you hear if you hear an acoustic guitar, that's me playing Mississippi John Hurt's guitar. That's oh the wow, that's that's definitely going to be yeah. a must listen. So, uh, how would you describe the music of Mississippi John Hurt to someone who? has maybe heard of him but never actually listened to any of his songs is there a particular one i mean obviously there's spike driver blues on the album but is that a song is there another one that you would recommend and what particular about his style really is indicative of of his approach well if you hear me perform spike driver blues on the new album on the arkansas album that's very uh, very faithful to the way mississippi john would have played it um, the other songs that I did of his on the album, I, uh, I played with a band and we took it to a, to a whole nother place. Uh, but the thing about Mississippi John Hurt that makes him unique, a lot of people would uh, lump him into the Delta Blues category, and he's not really a Delta Blues player. He, he didn't play slide guitar and he didn't play in that Delta uh, Blues style that a lot of people are familiar with. He, he was uh, from the hill country of Mississippi and he played a little bit more in a ragtime style. Uh, so his, his finger picking style was very unique. And um, I learned uh, pretty much every song that he ever recorded. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, a, a, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, car- I'm carrying the torch for, sure, for, for him for sure. <laughs> Is there a certain aspect to that finger picking? Is there some a certain, you mentioned the un- a unique style. How is that different from what you would hear from other guitarists? Wow, well, it's uh, pretty technical, but if you want to get into it, it's, uh, you know, he had, he had an alternating thumb uh, thumb pick on the bass notes, which, uh, which very, is very reminiscent of the stride piano style of, of piano playing uh, of that era of the late 1920s. Uh, but he also did a lot of things called pinching, where he, um, in addition, you know, simultaneous to one of his thumb strokes, he would pinch the, one of the higher strings and sometimes brush up on multiple strings. So it's a combination of individual finger picking and brushing and pinching that's um, it's kind of, I mean, this is kind of technical stuff, but if, uh, if you're a guitar player, you'll know what I'm talking about. Absolutely interesting. Now, was there a particular approach 
to the arrangements of these songs. And these songs by Bill Halley and Champion Jack Dupree and Blind Blake, and how you and the rest of the Good Road Band going into the studio and and rearranging this. What was what was the direction you guys decided to take to reimagine these songs? Well, what happened was I I I, I began the, this whole album project by doing. I thought I was going to do a tribute to Mississippi John and just do it faithfully, you know, with just a guitar and a vocal, the way he did it. I cut a couple tracks, and uh, one of them was Spike Driver Blues. And uh, I, I said, you know, okay, that's cool, man. I'm doing it. I can do it, but really, it'll never be as good as the original. But I but I didn't want to abandon the idea because I love the song so much. And then I thought one one day I just said to myself, I wonder what this stuff would sound like if we we put a band together. So I put a band together with some of my friends, uh, notably uh, the legendary Sam Bush on mandolin, uh, a pedal steel genius named Russ Paul, who's a very unique pedal steel player, um, a guy named Nat Smith who plays cello. He's from Mississippi, and he's very uh, also a very unique player, and my, my own rhythm section. And we went into the studio, and what I did was I just played the original style of these of all these songs on an acoustic guitar, and the guys just put put themselves into it, and they basically just interpreted what I did. And so, if you were to strip away all the instrumentation on the album, you would hear me playing in a very faithful, traditional way these these particular songs. But when you add what they they brought to the table, um, this amazing musicianship and sensitivity to the music, and listening to each other, and this incredible skill that they all had, it ended up being this really amazing combination of almost like Dixieland played on 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 uh, Americana instruments. It's very hard to describe. I I call it Dixie. It sounds like Dixieland um, salted with bluegrass and and uh, dipped in Delta blues. <laughs> now, hearing some of that instrumentation in the background and, and seeing in the in the press kit talking about using cello, for example, and as I was listening through the album, I hear kind of a sonic palette of electric guitar. And I mean, you hear it through a lot of the songs, but in the background of of Anytime and Stack of Lee and That'll Never Happen No More, and when you when the listeners may be expecting to hear more acoustic, and then you hear this kind of crunch, but it's like a sustained crunch in the background. Uh, how did you decide, let's use like the electric guitar here as kind of a backing here, or a cello there? How did that process come about? Well, that was, that was the beauty of making this record. I, the, by choosing these players... I didn't tell them anything. I literally did not say anything. I just said, fellas, here's the song, and I played for them on acoustic guitar. Because they're so good, and because their musicianship is a, such a high, high level, they, they just listen to each other. And what I love about the album, when I, I, when I hear it, not only do I hear the amazing playing, but I hear the way they're listening to each other and how they're complimenting and playing off of each other. Um, now, the cello and the pedal steel playing together sounds like an orchestral pad of sorts. And it's in the background, and sometimes you don't even know what it is. Um, when I say, you know, when, when I, I tell people there's a cello on the album, people say, what? And, but, but, but this guy, Nat Smith, he doesn't play like a normal classical cello player. In fact, he's not a classical player. He plays almost like a country fiddle player. Uh, so the stuff that he's doing is very unique, and he's doing a lot of rhythmic and uh, percussive stuff. So um, it's a very unique combination of musicians. What was your... Well, first I'll ask, which songs did you compose for the album? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I chose the songs. Okay, so so how did you... Uh, what, what was your... 
What was your particular arrangement approach? And you kind of described that a little bit earlier in the in the past couple well, questions. But what I well, what I did the, the the core of the album are Mississippi John Hurt songs. You know, there's right. there's an adaptation of "Make Me a Pallet on Your Floor," which I call "Pallet Soft and Low" because I I wrote an original refrain for that. There's this classic version of Stacko Lee. There's uh, you know obviously Spike Driver Blues. Uh, there's a gospel song called "Lord Send Me." And then there's his, his classic Creole Bell. Uh, once we had those songs, um, I realized I didn't want to make the entire album just Mississippi John Hurt songs. So I started to think about, now he, he recorded, the first time he, be, he had a recording career was 1926 to 1929. Um, so what I did was I looked at songs that were contemporary with him in, in the late 1920s, songs that might have been played on, you know, uh, being played on the radio or um, on a record in the earliest days of the phonograph record. And I found the Jimmy Rogers song, and I found the Emmett Miller had a big hit with a song called Anytime dur- during that, that era. So um, what I ended up doing was choose songs, I chose songs that, that were contemporary with Mississippi John Hurt, and um, it just ended up, the, the album started to, to become a snapshot of, of the earliest uh, days of American popular music. What guitar did you use? What particular guitar did you end up using on this recording? Well, session? I didn't have Mississippi John Hurt's guitar at the time we were recording, unfortunately. I wish I would have, but I didn't. I got it after the project was over. But I used my Martin. I have a custom Martin uh, 0028. I also have a 0015 Mahogany. Uh, and I have a Gibson L00, which is a, a very small uh, uh, you know, body guitar. I tend to use these uh, smaller body guitars. Um, they seem to... Uh, well, first of all, I like to play them, and, and they just have a certain sound that seems to record really well. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be using that same uh, same instrument on on the tours? I know you've already had a couple dates, and the, the, the tour is yeah. I'll, I'm I'm taking my I'm taking my custom Martin 0028 with me. Uh, that's my go-to guitar. Okay, on these tour dates, and again, you've had had a couple now to maybe maybe gauge some audience reaction, perhaps. Or is are there how many of the songs are you performing from the album, and do you plan to change the set list at all throughout the tour? Well, we do the whole album. Um, we do the entire album. We usually do two sets when we play in these smaller venues. And we do the whole album and then take a break and then come back and do a whole kind of a mixed bag of, of a couple uh, new versions of some Hall & Oates songs. I do a reggae version of Maneater. Um, we have a bunch of stuff from my earlier solo work, uh, you know, album songs from my different solo albums and a couple covers, you know. So we just have some fun with the second set. Uh, and speaking of touring, obviously, then there's going to be the Hall & Oates train tour. was just announced a few right. days ago. How is that going to work for, a, 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 like, are you going to do any solo material there, or is that all Hall & Oates stuff during the Hall & Oates? No, no. Daryl and, and I made an agreement uh, a while back that, you know, when we get together, we just play Hall & Oates songs. Oh. That's, that's what we do together, and that's what we represent, and that's what we, you know, that's what people come to see, and that's what they get. Um, we have too much music to try to add solo songs into a show uh it would be too confusing and too too crazy um so uh we just uh, we stick with the hollow notes and we've got a great band and the the train going out with the group train is going to be amazing uh so um you know that's that and then i'll come back to uh, to arkansas project probably in the fall of of this coming year and uh, do some more touring with with this with my solo stuff. And last question for you, and, and uh, again, Arkansas hasn't even been released. We still have another week to go before it comes out. But yep. 
is there another musical project that you were thinking at some point you'd like to tackle this genre uh, or this artist? Wow. Yes. No, no, no. Not right now, man. <laughs> I, I'm deep into the Arkansas project, you know, putting the band together, getting ready to go on tour, promoting it. So I've, I've got my plate as full as possible. My, I, I did write a book last year, which was out in hardcover, and a paperback version of it is coming out in May, and that's uh, called Change of Seasons. So the paperback version of my book will come out in May. And uh, so that's that's yet another thing. So, man, I've got a lot, lot going on here. It's going to be a, it's going to be really good. We'll see you and Daryl and Train coming up uh, nearby here in St. Paul in May. Of course, there's a Hoagie Nation Festival coming up. But first, Arkansas in a week. The tour dates. Go check that out if, if you get get the opportunity. John, thank you so much. Glad you got over the cold and uh, enjoy the uh, coming uh, weeks to promote Arkansas. Good music. Thanks, Luke. Appreciate it, man. So that was my interview from January of 2018 with John Oates about the album Arkansas. Fast forward to August of 2020, and I interviewed him again to talk about the live album Live in Nashville with the Good Road Band, who accompanied him on live shows and also played on the album Arkansas. So here's my interview from August of 2020 with John Oates about Live in Nashville. It's going to be coming out on September 18th, with the Good Road Band, live in Nashville, recorded back on January 9th at the Station Inn. Now, we're doing this interview, obviously, more than a month ahead of the release. So, tell us what... We'll start with the track listing. When a person listens to this, they find it on a streaming platform. What is all? What, what are the songs in particular that are going to be on this release? Well, uh, as, you, as you did mention, it, a lot of it is based on the music from the Arkansas album. Uh, but, you know, I've, uh, in the two years that have passed since the Arkansas album was released, I, uh, I've been on tour with the Good Road Band, and we've been playing lots of shows. And, you know, uh, as the shows have uh, evolved and the band has gotten, you know, tighter and everything like that, we've added some new songs. Uh, there's, a, there's a cover of a Johnny Cash classic called Big River, which uh, there was, a, there was a, a documentary film coming out on Johnny Cash. They asked me to do one of a Johnny Cash songs, so uh, I worked up a bluesy arrangement of a Johnny Cash song. Uh, there's a, a, a new original that I wrote with Sam Bush and Jeff Black uh, called This Field is Mine, which is a really, you know, I wrote it quite a while ago and never got a chance to record it, so we put it on the album. Um, Boy, I'll tell you what, it, it goes on and on. Um, I'm trying to think of, of some of the other ones. Um, I don't have the track listing in front of me. But uh, in general, there's, you know, there's some really, what, there, what it is, extended and more, uh, more aggressive versions of a lot of the stuff on Arkansas, like um, the song Palette Soft and Low, which is on the Arkansas album, turns into a really heavy blues jam. Um, there's another song I wrote uh, with a guy named Mike Henderson, and it's um, it's called the edge of the world, and that turns into a really kind of uh, really I, I, you know a, a chance for the band to stretch out and really show their stuff. You know, there's so many great musicians in this band um, that it's a you know when you play live uh, as opposed to making a record, you know, you get a chance to jam a little bit more. You know, to stretch out on the arrangements and extend things, and so that's really what you're going to get with this live album. Well, and I figured also with. Over the course of two years, off and on playing the songs, off and on playing with the musicians, that naturally songs are are going to evolve, especially when there's so much organic instrumentation. You're not dealing with a drum machine that's well, that pretty much is what it is, or right. a backtrack. This is this is all instrumentation, and it's human nature that artists are going to kind of change what what they do. Were there? Uh, 
you you talk about some of the more aggressive sound in some of the songs. Were there any other trends you noticed in any of the particular tunes, especially the ones that were on the Arkansas release, that evolved as time went on and you performed them more and more live? Well, I think what happens is, you know, when you know when when I made the Arkansas album, you know, that's it. That's it. That's a moment in time. You know, it's a snap. It's a kind of a sonic snapshot. You you would say, because. That was the first time I ever sang those songs uh, when I made the record. As time went on, after two years of playing the songs over and over again, I think my vocal approach changed. Um, I was able to do some things that, and I kind of rediscovered or, or discovered things in the songs that I wasn't aware of when when uh, when we first recorded the songs. So that's what happens when you get to play them live, and also you have the uh, the response from the audience, and you see what works in a live setting. You know what the audience responds to, which songs get the best, you know, the best response. You know, so you you kind of juggle the set list a bit. You move things around. Um, all those things happen because of the live uh, of playing live, and that's what I wanted to capture with this live from Nashville album. I wanted to capture the uh, the results of two years of of playing live with this band. Were any songs given like a new meaning or become maybe more favorites of yours or any of the other members of the Good Road Band over these assorted live performances? You start to go, hey, we kind of like this tune a little more. We want to. It takes on a different feel as time went on. Oh, absolutely. Some of the songs take on a different feel. I think that all the musicians find their parts. You know, they may they may have they may start with the parts that they may have played on the record two years ago, but as time goes on, you know, they they uh, they take those parts as, as as kind of a jumping off point and you know begin to uh, you know kind of expand upon them, uh, adapt them because you know these guys are so, such good players and they you know they they're not like machines, they're not robots. They're they don't want to be bored and you know play the same thing over and over exactly you know, note for note. Um, so it's one of those things where you um, you really you use the original parts and the original arrangement as a jumping off point, and then you know the the songs evolve from there. The members of the band all have I mean, extensive discographies, been collaborations, and I did a reminder to go back through everybody th- this morning to remind myself who they didn't like. Okay, yeah, everyone is it's it's a wow across the board. Yeah, uh, these are some of the great, yeah. great, pl- greatest players in Nashville, and, and that's saying something because there's there's a whole city full of great players. Um, but these guys are, you know, a lot of them are go-to uh, number one. You know that you'll hear them. You know, you won't know perhaps who they are, but they're playing on a lot of the big, you know, country hits, uh, a lot of the Americana stuff. And then you have someone like Sam Bush, who's a legend. You know, he's a, you know, he's a mandolin legend and a, a mandolin icon. And you know, just uh, you know, he wasn't on every one of our shows in the in the in the two years period of time, but we brought uh, everybody back together um, for the for this live album. And even a guy like Nathaniel Smith, who is uh, who plays uh, cello and keyboards for Casey Musgraves, he's been on tour with Casey Musgraves the whole time. But he came back and played with us for the live album as well. So we really had the kind of the full complement uh, of, of players came back for. Um, for this, uh, yeah, it's kind of like a full circle moment where you 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 finally get the exact same people in the you know playing who played the original album and see you know and then you can really tell the difference between two year two and a half years ago and now. I know there's a video that's floating around on YouTube, and I hope that I'm 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 already forgetting what the, the song was, but it was an interplay between you and Nathaniel Smith 
guitar solo, cello solo. And I remember the last time that, that I was talking to you about the Arkansas album, I was talking about what sounded like electric guitar. And as you pointed out, it, it's cello. It's the, it's the way the processing and the way it's played. And first reaction is I'm listening to that live performance. The, the interplay between you and uh, Nathaniel was... Again, it can, it has that crunch, but you could tell it was a cello clearly. And then you see the play back and forth. I, I I'm blown away by his ability to play cello in a way that you know, as a, as a as a pop music fan, as a rock music fan, I'm like, oh, okay, th- this is a totally different take. I'm amazed by what he could do. Yes, he's a great great musician. He he is very unique. I've never heard anyone play the cello like him. Uh, he, he he plays it in a percussive. He has a percussive uh, quality to his playing. Um, he also can play. He can play in a very traditional way, but he also he can play up high and make it sound almost like a fiddle. Uh, he and he does a lot of groove like rhythmic things that um, you know cellos do some rhythmic things when in their kind of classical context. But uh, what he does is much funkier. I mean he he's from Mississippi, grew up on the blues, so he's got this kind of. He's got a very bluesy way of playing the cello, um, and you know he's just—he's just a gifted musician, and uh, what he brings is very unique. What did you learn musically, having performed so much, either in the studio or live, from the assorted members of this project in the Good Road Band? Well, I learned—I uh, learned a lot about them as people. Uh, because you know when you travel together and you spend time together and you go on the road you you become friends you you get to know people you know above and beyond just their you know their, their musical ability and um, they're good people they're friends um, they you know there's a great camaraderie uh, and you know I, I'm also you know what I'm most impressed I mean not most impressed because I'm impressed with a lot of their playing but um, in addition to their great you know instrumental ability is is their ability to listen because it's really a um, when you have seven, six or seven really good musicians, there's always a tendency to play too much, and it's very hard to be to have restraint and to know understand what your role should be at that very moment in a particular song. Um, that's something that only comes from years and years of playing and, and a very high high level of, of you know of musical sophistication. So it's something that's um, that, that I I appreciate as a, as a player and a musician. And uh, and perhaps the you know a layman or or the you know a casual fan might not appreciate something like that. But what I do is I listen to them listening. Uh, and I don't know if that makes sense or not. But um, you know it, there there there's moments where. There's actually no uh, particular, um, you know, rules or no particular plan for who's going to take a particular solo at a particular moment. But because they listen, they're listening so closely to each other. One person starts a solo, the other person picks up on something where they can come in at the exact right time and complete that musical thought. It's a, it's as I said, it's it's pretty sophisticated stuff. Um, and here again, it's not something the average person might really pick up on, but I think the sum total of what you get when you hear this kind of playing is what makes the magic happen. In terms of musical, uh, rephrase, what kind of music have you been exposed to from talking to these guys, working with these guys, other genres of music that kind of the discovery process, what music did you learn working with them over these past few years? Well, you know, um, 
it, when I wasn't working with them or when they weren't working with me, they were on the road with other people. Like, for instance, uh, Steve Mackey, the bass player, he did the entire tour with Peter Frampton. Um, you know, uh, obviously, Nat Smith was out with Casey Musgrave. Sam Bush tours all the time with his, his solo band. Uh, Guthrie Trap works with all sorts of people and travels around the world giving guitar lessons to people. He went to South Africa. He went to Europe. Um, so, you know, they all bring their individual experiences back with them. But at the same time, then they, you know, I, here, here again, I don't want to sound too too uh, complicated, but they, then they you subjugate your personal experience to the good of the whole, to, to making this particular unit at this particular moment on this particular song be as, as good as it can be. And that's where the versatility comes in. And that's what you learn when you work with players like this. So looking back on the overall Arkansas project, now we've had two and a half years since the release, but then for you, obviously, that goes back even further in the, in the process of arranging and creating and recording. So it's, it's over the past several years, mm -hmm. reflect on how this project sits within your overall creative output, either solo or your entire musical career, however you want to look at it. I, I, I consider the Arkansas Project and this live album, you know, which is an outgrowth of it, to be a very important part of, without a doubt, the, probably the most important part of my solo career, uh, because I'm drawing from the, the six solo albums that preceded it, but I'm also drawing from from my past, my deep, deep past, and and the musical influences that I had long before I met Daryl Hall, and this is a reimagination and a you know kind of a revisiting the past but with the through the lens of, of who I am today and the experience professional experiences that I have um, this is a this is what this music represents to me um, it was a chance to pay honor homage to um, to the past and to some of these great songs from the past but at the same time uh, perform them and you know with 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 the sensibility of today and so that's a, that was, that's, that's the tightrope that I had to walk on the creative side to make this happen. And that's why this record, I think, is so important to me, uh, both these records. And I think that's really what it is. I know it's not, it, it's, it, it, it was still the, what, the project, and I'm remembering from our interview from a couple of years ago, it was, it's not just on one individual. It started to branch out. You started to think of incorporating different different artists, different blues artists, different Americana artists. It built and built from there. As I know you've referenced, this is kind of like the pop music of the 20s and 30s, if you yeah. will, from that time. But then there are other elements that got brought into this. So d having worked on this project, does this pique interest in another era, another genre of, again, pop music of a certain era that's not what we stereotypically think of as pop music from the, you know, the 50s and 60s on, has this made you go, hmm, I want to explore blank? I, I think that's a possibility for the future, but not, not the near future. Um, ever since I you know, finished this album uh, in January and got it ready, you know, getting it ready for uh, release, I've been really looking forward now. I've been doing much more contemporary stuff, writing in a much more contemporary, modern style, um, collaborating with a lot of younger people. So I think in a sense, um, I think... You know, I've been looking back, you know, kind of 
looking to the past for inspiration for these projects. Now I'm looking for the, to the future for inspiration for new songs. So I think it's time for me to, to just try something different. Um, and so my my songwriting has sounded much more uh, modern and contemporary now. Um, and we'll see where that takes me. Uh, but but I don't rule out the possibility of going back to another time. You never know. Right now. I'm curious then, also with the current writing that you're doing, I know there, we've heard in the media over over the past few months about this about the new Daryl Hall and John Oates project, and mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's he's been working on some material, now you're starting to get involved, I think that, that last I had heard, in fact I'm curious, where does the project stand as of the recording today on August 6th, where are you guys at right now? It doesn't stand anywhere. Um, unfortunately, the, the momentum of the project uh, really kind of stopped when the COVID uh, thing happened. Um, we were ready to go. In fact, I began to write. I wrote a whole bunch of songs uh, and song ideas that I was sharing with Daryl at the time. Um, and then when everything kind of came to a grinding halt, everything really got put on hold. So right now we're, we're in a holding pattern. There's no real forward momentum on the, on the album. Um, I'm sure he's he's writing and being creative, uh, but everyone's kind of kept to themselves, really. So uh, at this point now, we're just more more focused on getting back out on the road when we can. And we just announced a uh, possible tour for 21, and we have dates. Uh, we'll see if we can do those dates. We're hoping we can. Um, but here again, it's day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, so we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. So when, when you were writing over the past few months and so, did what elements of working with again good road band members doing the Arkansas project even looking as, as you said you're looking forward you're looking doing more of a contemporary writing style but do you find any elements of the musicianship any elements any influences from that seeping in or kind of subtly molding the way you write in a more contemporaneous manner not on the writing side. No, I have to. Not, I, I can't really agree with that 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 statement. Um, what what it what it has done the playing with a good road band and, and the process of playing live so much. Um, it's made me a better player, guitar player, and singer, and that's what I'm bringing to the newer material. My 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 uh, an elevated level of of playing and singing. Um, but I've been, uh, instead of doing, you know, everything on the Arkansas Project and everything, obviously, in a live album is totally organic, and it's all about, you know, your guitar, your voice, and the band. Um, I'm now, I'm now programming things in, you know, and, uh, you know, with Pro Tools and made it using MIDI and, uh, you know, various kind of uh, sampled synthesizer work and stuff like that, keyboard work. So I'm doing, um, I'm, I'm working in a much more contemporary um, kind of style. What are your current musical influences? What's, inf- what's influencing your current songwriting? Um, actually, it's the stuff that I'm working on. I'm working on a movie called Gringa, which is a story of a young girl who goes to Mexico to find her father who's uh, abandoned her. Um, fantastic uh, new movie it's going to come out and I wrote um, I wrote with a young uh, hip hop uh, singer uh, from South Carolina we wrote a song that looks like it's going to be the title song um, and uh, we did that I'm, I'm also doing a duet with a Mexican a female singer because there's a lot of uh, Spanish content in the movie mm-hmm. and um, you know then, then I've done some Zoom writing where I'm writing on via Zoom with people around the country 
so it's uh, you know it's more like that really uh, that that movie's taken on a lot of uh, I've been working on really hard on that movie we've got three songs in the movie as as we speak um, I'm also doing some other work with with other people so it's um it's really I haven't stopped it's just uh, I've shifted uh, completely shifted my focus to um, things that are much more contemporary and what's the time frame on on that movie's release when do you think we're going to I don't know yet they're looking for distribution you know it's very it's it's as challenging for um, movie people as it is for musicians you know Uh, you know there's no movie theaters Uh, movie theaters are closed pretty much Um, so you know they have to find a distribution outlet and it's being edited right now it's very close to being finished Um, and we'll know so we'll know pretty soon the the thing every time I see a music video come out that has people all interacting like what we used to think of as normal. And it's a weird effect that over the past three or four months, I'll see these videos come out, go, well, that was clearly shot before the pandemic. And it, mm-hmm. all, it all feels strange. And that's something you didn't necessarily expect to happen, but you see that tied in with the live performance. And again, there's a live performance that was happening. Well, that's barely been happening since March in this country. How do you, what's your take? on the contemporary nature of music as a whole. And I know that's a really broad category, but how is the world of music responding from what you see? Do you think it's adapting in a good way? Is it adapting in whatever way it can? And where do you think it goes from here in terms of live performance, but also in terms of how songwriters are reacting to what's going on nationwide? Oh, that's a giant question. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Um, well, in terms of the way songwriters are reacting, song, songwriters have, have totally embraced the um, the remote virtual um, collaboration via Zoom or whatever other you know internet um, connection they they might you know decide to use. Um, I I was a little leery of using Zoom to, and I didn't know how it was going to work, whether it was you know going to be too awkward. Um, but it's actually turned out pretty well. Um, the people that I'm working with, the younger, especially younger people who are much more tech savvy and, you know, when they set up these, uh, Zoom conferences, you know, everything works really well and it's really almost like sitting in the same room. Um, I, I was actually surprised on how well it's worked. Uh, and I just, you know, I'm, I'm collaborating with, uh, the Mexican, uh, female singer, uh, right now. She's in Mexico. And we're collaborating on the song right now. She just sent me her Spanish lyric, which I'm gonna learn part of. Um, and she's learning my English lyric. And, um, we're gonna, she's gonna go to LA and we're gonna record remotely. I'm gonna produce her from Nashville, uh, via, via the, the two studios linking up, uh, in LA and Nashville. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're finding ways to keep creative and, and, Keep keep on going. As far as live live playing is concerned, it's definitely not happening. Um, and you know, I don't know. You know, it, I think a lot of bands would would be happy to play live, but do do thousands of people want to crowd into a, a, a space and sit next to each other? I'm not sure. Uh, right now, I don't think so. So um, you know, we'll hopefully that will change, and hopefully we'll get a you know we'll get a vaccine and that people feel comfortable enough to uh, say hey it's time to you know get back together again in in large groups and we'll see what happens there have been uh, at home performances we've seen over time including yourself oh, yeah. performing remotely and there are a few others sure. i know like i i found myself watching a lot of the Nora Jones at home uh concerts and from from where she's at and wherever she's at is lockdown and other perform other performers are there any in particular you found yourself drawn towards that started doing the at-home performance and such over the past few months um i i'm a big fan of sex watch i don't know if you've seen him yet 
but he's a saxophone player who wears a sex squatch suit. And <laughs> I'm he's not. Amazing. Oh, my gosh. He's wow. amazing. And um, I'm going to work with him, actually, because we reached out on Instagram and found him. And uh, so uh, we'll be working with him in the future. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm too busy. I'm too focused on what I'm doing, uh, you know, to really kind of, um, you know, I've been watching some people's shows for um, – just for it, you know, just to learn how they're doing it, to watch how they're lighting the lighting and how professional it looks, and what they might be doing that 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 works really well, or what doesn't work so well. You know, I just did a great show with a guy named Charlie Worsham. Uh, he's got a, a show that he does called Live from the Lou, and he does it from his uh, upstairs room in Nashville. And he's a great interviewer, a great musician, uh, and um, just did a show with him. So, yeah, there's there's all sorts of things, you know, like that happening. Going back to the release here, I had a few more questions before I let you go. Jim Lauderdale, you worked with over the past few years. I, I believe he was involved with this uh, particular performance. What what do you enjoy about working with him? Well, he's an amazing songwriter, an amazing singer, and uh, just a great human being. Um, I, I like his soulfulness. You know, he's the real deal. He comes from, uh, you know, he comes from North Carolina, and he... He just brings this uh, very, very authentic uh, Appalachian soul to, to everything he does. Um, he's great. The song that Jim and I did together uh, did not actually make the album uh, for some business reasons, really, that's all. Um, but I did do a song that he and I wrote together. I did a song called Let Him Come to You, which is a new song, but written in a very old 1930s, 1940s uh, musical style. So it fit, uh, it fit much more uh, on, on, the, on the style of the Live from Nashville album. So even though Jim's not on the song, uh, it is a co-write that he and I did together. Yeah, really cool. Uh, the, the station in, the venue. Um, for those of us that have not been to Nashville that are not really immersed in the Nashville music scene, tell us about the appeal of that venue. Well, it's one of the classic venues. You know, I think uh, of the two venues that really are, are the, the heart and soul of, of music in Nashville would be uh, the Station Inn and the Ryman Auditorium. Th- those two venues for me really, you know, they are the, the real thing, they're the real deal. And uh, the Station Inn is a small, concrete, you know, low-ceilinged uh, room, holds about 250 people. And uh, legendary bluegrass and, and acoustic performers have performed there over the years. Um, and it's just got a vibe about it. It's got a very special vibe. When I began to work with the guys in the Good Road Band, that was one of the first shows we did. And so recording there live was kind of bringing it back full circle. And that's another reason that I wanted to record it there. So this gig, uh, and, and it, as the press release says, it's kind of bringing everything back full circle. But... Maybe that's maybe that's answering the question I'm about to ask, which is what is was so particularly special about that performance? I know there was the the live EP that came out in the intervening years, but what about this performance earned the the status of let's do a live album based on this to put out to the public? Well, I you know I knew that it it was going to be kind of historic in with regard to the fact that I might not be able to get these guys all back in the same place uh, together in one at one on one evening, and I wanted to you know because they were available because we could do it um, I thought it was important to do it and kind of put a cap on this uh, this kind of Arkansas project in in a sense. 
Um, not to say we won't do it again, because we will, but uh, just for now. And um, it was great that I could get them all together. They were all willing, and, and they were on fire. I mean, it was just one of those magical nights where, you know, the music is really clicking and, and things just worked. Uh, we got a great, a, a great recording. And we took it in the studio and mixed it. And uh, my uh, engineer, co-producer, uh, David Kalmuski, he's an amazing mixer, made it sound incredible. And once I heard how good it was sounding, I said, you know what? I'm not going to sit on this and not release it. Uh, and it's kind of interesting and kind of ironic that, you know, there is no live music out there. And so we're putting out a live album. So it's certainly no substitute for going to see a band live. But... It's better than nothing, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're we're trying to find anything we can to find live music. We're starting to play live albums here on our radio station at this point because there's no other concerts around. So, well, I hope uh, I hope you'll uh, you'll feature this and and everybody will enjoy it. I, um, I will tell you that we're doing a live streaming show on September 26th on Nugs TV. So um, with with the full band. Um, I'm not sure if Nat Smith is going to be able to make it. I hope he can. But it, but everybody, Sam Bush is in, and the rest of the band is in. So um, it's going to be live on Nugs TV uh, from uh, a club in Nashville. I don't think we'll have an audience, but we're going to stream it live. It's at least a little something. We'll, we'll take advantage of that. <laughs> Good to note, September 26th on that. And then eight days before that, September 18th, the release right. of Live in Nashville, John Oates and the Good Road Band recorded back on January 9th, back in the era of actual live performances <laughs> with audiences. John, thanks once again for uh, okay, for chatting you. chatting with me. And uh, hope for, well, there's a lot you're working on and hope to for the best for the future. Take care. Well, I appreciate your support. Thanks so much. Great interviews with John Oates. I've, I've conducted three interviews with him uh, thus far, which if you'd told me when I was a kid growing up listening to the music of Daryl Hall and John Oates and seeing their videos on MTV that I would get to interview him at least three times, would not have believed it at all. <laughs> that is that is really cool that I've gotten that chance, and it's humbling, and it's really awesome, and good interview again with John Oates. If you want to learn more about what John Oates is doing, well, all you got to do is go to his website, which is johnoates.com. JohnOates.com. You can find his stuff on social media as well, posting a lot of stuff on Facebook and, and the like. Also, you can get more information about Daryl Hall and John Oates at their website, HallandOates.com. HallandOates.com. Get all the details about what Daryl Hall and John Oates are doing. And as he as John Oates mentioned in the interview you just heard. As of the taping of that interview, their next project on hold, what with the pandemic, but something more will happen with Daryl Hall and John Oates in the future. And hopefully get another chance to chat with John Oates, who knows, maybe even Daryl Hall about future projects. That's been the latest edition of Got Time for a Quick Story podcast. Thanks, as always, to my employer, Greatest Hits 98.1 Radio in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, for providing the facilities for those interviews you heard and a whole lot of other interviews. You can listen to those interviews and other interviews that we do. My coworker John Murphy does some artist interviews as well. If you go to greatesthits981.com and click on interviews, and you can listen to all sorts of music-related interviews. Also, you can find this podcast on a whole lot of platforms, a lot of the usual suspects. You can download this podcast. Make sure you subscribe to it so you know when new inter new uh, new interviews arrive. 
And also rate this preferably higher because that will spread the word around a little bit more. Got time for a quick story. I'm Luke Anthony.